Senator Sheldon Whitehouse gets caught with his hand in the racist cookie jar but faces no consequences. Democrats begin to walk back their radical voting proposals. And New York City votes for mayor. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Why haven't you gotten a VPN yet? Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. Speaking of which, the last thing you want is somebody peeking over your shoulder when you are on the internet, particularly not the big tech companies, many of whom are going to take all of your data and then repackage it and then sell it to people you don't even know. We all take little risks every day when we go online, whether we think about it or not. We think our connection probably won't be interrupted by hackers or our data probably won't be used against us. But using the internet without ExpressVPN, it's like driving without car insurance. Why would you take that risk when you don't have to? Every time you connect to an unencrypted network, cafe, hotel, airport, any hacker on the same network can gain access to your personal data, whether it's your passwords, financial details, etc. It doesn't take much technical knowledge to hack somebody, just some cheap hardware, and your data is valuable. Hackers can make up to 1000 bucks per person selling personal information on the dark web. ExpressVPN acts as online insurance. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so hackers can't steal your personal data. It'd take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. That's how good they are. And it's super easy to use. You can install with one click and then with just another click, it is now active. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash Ben. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Ben. Get an extra three months for free. Expressvpn.com slash Ben to get started. All righty. So there is a simple truth when it comes to today's racial debate. And that simple truth is that if you are on the side of the angels, you can do or say whatever you want. You can be as racist as you could possibly want to be, and you will survive. But if you hold the wrong positions, you don't have to be racist in order for you to be clocked about the ears. And if we don't know, if we're just not sure where you are, then we will cudgel you about the ears until you declare that you are on the side of the angels. That is the way that this particular debate works. If you are not on the side of the woke, well, you don't have to be racist in order for them to declare you racist and just go after you. If you're in the middle, you're kind of neutral. Nobody said anything. And then evidence comes out that you may, in fact, not even be racist, but like have been associated once with some people who may once have been racist. Then we'll just cudgel you until you come out in favor of the woke. And if you're woke, you're good. If you're woke, you're totally good. And this is all within the logic of wokeness, of critical race theory and identity politics. It is all within that logic. Because that logic suggests that individual racism is not the problem. Systemic racism is the problem. Systemic racism is simply defined as any system of power anywhere that results in inequality of outcome, as we've discussed at length on the show. Well, what that means, according to the proponents of wokeism and identity politics, is that if you wish to tear down those systems, if you're complicit in tearing down the systems, if you do what we want, then we will ignore your personal racism. Because personal racism is really just ancillary. It's something that you can use as a cudgel to hit people with. But if that person is helping you already, why would you care? Which is why Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, who was caught being in like his medical yearbook in the 1980s, either wearing a KKK outfit or blackface, right? Those were the two choices. There was no third choice where he wasn't in the photo. The two choices were blackface or a KKK outfit. That guy who Democrats at the time said, you know what, maybe we should get rid of him. Maybe he should go. You know, it's kind of bad, right? And then he didn't go anywhere. Now you have Joe Biden basically campaigning with the guy. And you have Democrats like Terry McAuliffe talking up Ralph Northam. Because if you, the, the rule typically in, in Democratic circles is not you either die a hero or you live long enough to become a villain. It's either you die a villain or you stick around long enough to become a hero. Whether we're talking about Katie Hill or whether we're talking about Al Franken or whether we're talking about Ralph Northam. If you are a Democrat and you are useless to them at a particular time and you're ousted or you're yelled at, 
And then later you become useful, we will, re we will rehabilitate you. Okay, so the person who articulates this, I think, quite beautifully is, of course, Nicole Hannah-Jones. So Nicole Hannah-Jones, who is the de facto editor of The New York Times, a professional liar, uh, a Pulitzer Prize winning liar, actually, considering the 1619 Project is a false recapitulation of the nation's history from a racist perspective. Here's Nicole Hannah-Jones explaining that when it comes to critical race theory, when it comes to the teaching of history, when it comes to all this stuff, individual racism no longer matters. The only thing that matters is where you stand with regard to the structures of power, which, of course, Nicole Hannah-Jones, it's amazing. The structures of power never include the places where the left is in control. So they will say, oh, the structures of power, they're really bad. The, system, the hierarchies in America, they're just terrible. But everything's great at the New York Times, except for, you know, every so often they have to fire like a James Bennett or a Barry Weiss or something. But if you're Nicole Hannah-Jones, we never talk about the amount of power you wield in society. We never talk about the amount of power wielded by the woke in society. We talk, we're talking about the other structures of power. Here's Nicole Hannah-Jones. Both my work and critical race theory are about structures. They're not about individuals. And they're actually trying to move us away from thinking that individuals alone are responsible. You know, a few bad apples are responsible for inequality and are responsible for discrimination and trying to show that there's actually much larger structures at play here. And that's really what they're trying to do. They don't want an examination of the systems of power. They don't want an examination of the larger structures that we started to see coming out of the global protest movements last year. They want to pretend that the inequality we see is just a matter of a few bad actors. And so they're trying to suppress these truths. Okay, so this works a couple of ways. One, it is untrue that the systems of power in the United States are geared toward harming black people. That is simply not true in the United States. It was true in 1960. It is certainly not true in 2021. In fact, if you're going to look at the systems of power in the United States, they're tremendously geared toward specific affirmative action programs that largely benefit black people at the expense, in many cases, of Asian people. If you look at all of the affirmative action programs that are used at university levels, they are not directed toward helping all people of color. They're aimed at helping particular people of particular colors. Okay, so we can talk about the structures of power, but it works both ways. Individual racism will be overlooked if it helps to destroy the structures of supposed power. Perfect example. Case in point today, Sheldon Whitehouse. Okay, so Sheldon Whitehouse is a really terrible senator from Delaware. And according to the New York Post, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse is facing new scrutiny over his decades-long membership in an allegedly all-white private beach club as he bills himself as a progressive and prominent critic of systemic racism, dismissing membership based on race as a long tradition in Rhode Island. The controversy began when Whitehouse was confronted Friday by a Go Local Providence reporter who published the video along with an article on Saturday detailing what occurred after asking about the senator's membership at the Newport-based Bailey's Beach Club, part of the Spouting Rock Beach Association. The progressive politician answered this way. Here is how he answered when he was asked about his membership at Bailey's. By the way, for like several years, people have been asking about his membership at this particular beach club, which apparently has no black members. Are there any minority members of the club now? I think the people who are running the place are still working on that. I'm sorry it hasn't happened yet. Um, do you have concerns in 2021? I mean, obviously, it's been four years. You had remarks on the floor following the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd saying, you know, hoping to root out systemic racism in the country. Um, your thoughts on an elite, all-white, wealthy club, again, in this day and age, um, you know, should these clubs continue to exist? It's a long tradition in Rhode Island, and there are many of them. We just need to work our way through the issues. Okay, now, here, here's the amazing thing. My understanding is that it is illegal to have all-white clubs in the United States, right? The Civil Rights Act of 1964 bars discrimination in public and private. Any sort of public accommodation is barred from single-race membership. So 
I am unaware whether this beach club, I mean, I've not seen any reports on this. I don't think, from my understanding, that this beach club overtly has a rule that says no black members. In fact, I think in the past they have had black members. So the normal answer that Sheldon Whitehouse would provide here is we have membership criteria. We evaluate the membership criteria based on merit. And sometimes there are people who are black and sometimes there are people who are not black. But the problem is because Sheldon Whitehouse has fallen into the woke trap of believing that equal outcome is the guarantor of equity, of fairness, because he believes that, he now has to answer for the fact that there are no black members of this particular club and there haven't been for quite a while. In fact, when he was first elected in 2006, he disavowed his membership and pledged to quit the club. Currently, his wife, Sandra, is one of the three largest shareholders in the club. Reach for comment by the Washington Post. White House senior spokesperson Megan McCabe said the country club was not all white, but declined to provide further information or proof. McCabe said the club has no such restrictive policy. The club has had and has members of color. The senator has dedicated his entire career to promoting equity and protecting civil rights, as his record shows. Efforts to reach management at Bailey's by phone were unsuccessful. The individual who answered refused to transfer the call and said the club was declining to comment. Go Local had pressed White House, according to the New York Post, and his office over his membership multiple times in 2017, noting that more than a decade had passed since his unkept campaign promise was made. After the lawmaker repeatedly declined requests for comment, that's when you saw that particular video. Okay, and uh, the left-wing senator told the outlet, I think it would be nice if they changed a little bit, but it's not my position. And asked if he intended to pressure the club to do better on diversity. White House said, I will take that up privately before declining to comment on the matter further. Okay, so let's say that this were a Republican for just a second. Do you think that this answer would prove sufficient to the media? It's been like a 24-hour news cycle, and that's pretty much it. By the end of the week, nobody will be asking Sheldon Whitehouse about this. There will be no calls for him to resign. There will be no calls for him to issue any sort of shame-faced apology. All he has to do is basically just wait it out. And Sheldon Whitehouse knows this because he is in the good graces of the people who believe that the only true racism is opposing their agenda. And now again, here's the reality. Do I think that Sheldon Whitehouse is racist against black people in any traditional sense? I have no evidence that he is. Do I even think that this club is racist against black people? I have no evidence that it is. Again, it does not have a specific policy that bars black people as far as I'm aware, because that would be federally and state illegal. But Sheldon Whitehouse can't give that answer. Because again, Sheldon Whitehouse's entire perspective is rooted in the idea that if there is any group that does not include a proper percentage of people by the general population statistics, then it must inevitably be inequitable. And here's the thing. So long as he holds that position in public, he doesn't actually have to hold that position in private. This is the beautiful thing about being properly woke. You can say the right things publicly. And if privately you live by the same rules as everybody else, namely, you belong to a beach club and the beach club has membership requirements. And sometimes there are black people who meet that. And sometimes there are black people who don't meet that. Same thing with universities. You send your kid to a private school and that private school does not admit people based solely on the basis of race. And, and maybe the racial constituency of that private school is not adjudicated on the basis of ethnicity. It's instead adjudicated on the basis of entrance exams or on the basis of past academic experience or on the basis of community membership. Now, you can do all of those things so long as you are properly woke. This is the beauty of the systemic racism argument. You never, ever have to be held accountable for living your politics personally. Right? When it comes to the right, the personal is political. Right? So if you're somebody on the right and you send your kid to a private school, then we rip you up and down. But if you're on the left and you're against school vouchers, you can send your kid to a private school and no one's going to say boo. If you're on the left and you say all the proper words about equity, you can belong to an all-white beach club and nobody is going to say boo beyond about 15 hours of controversy. And then we'll all just move on because we all know the real thing that's important here. And that is fighting the systems of power. 
fighting the systems of power, but only the systems of power the left says you should fight. Already in just a second, we're going to see that this, this sort of push from the left is having some rather deleterious consequences on their own perspective when it comes to, to winning elections. We'll get to that in just one second first. When you are running a business, HR issues can absolutely kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and HR manager salaries aren't cheap. They're an average of 70,000 bucks a year. Bambi is spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. It was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, maintain your compliance, all for just 99 bucks a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding determinations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just 99 bucks a month. They're month-to-month. There are no hidden fees. You can cancel any time. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. When you start a business, very few people think about HR. And then later, it very often comes back to bite them directly on the tuchus. Instead, why not get everything in order right now by heading on over to Bambi.com slash Shapiro. Again, that's Bambi.com slash Shapiro. Schedule your free HR audit today. That is Bambi.com slash Shapiro. B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Shapiro today. Alrighty. So meanwhile, Democrats, once again, are realizing that their agenda is not what the American people want. See, the thing is that Joe Biden was elected on the basis that he would be not Donald Trump, right? That he would basically restore a sense of calmness and, and solidity and, and absolute placidity to American politics. That, that American politics would return to a new normal where the professionals were in charge and we wouldn't have these sort of radical shifts in the winds each and every day, no tweeting from the toilet and all of that. So Joe Biden has kept the face of placidity and stolidity because he's not alive. But the actual policy being pursued by the Democrats is anything but placid. See, this was the great weirdness of the Trump administration. Every day was a new news cycle about whatever the man decided to tweet. But the actual stuff that the administration was doing was fairly traditional. Lowering taxes, strengthening the military, allowing for people to practice their religion in free ways. Right? Like these were fairly traditional American things under the last administration. The major policy shift over the last 20 years, have all been Democrat policy shifts. There's been Barack Obama attempting to revise the entire nature of the bargain between the individual citizen and the government by forcing you to buy health insurance or fining you. Right? It was Joe Biden who is now attempting to suggest basically universal basic income in another guise and make millions of people more dependent on the government. I mean, it is Democrats who've been making all these radical policy changes. It is not Republicans who've been making radical policy changes. Okay, so Joe Biden's not being alive has helped shield Democrats from the impact of this, but not completely. Because it turns out that every so often, Americans get a glimpse behind the veil of of Joe Biden's unaliveness, and they suddenly see what Democrats are pushing, and they don't like it very much. A perfect case in point is Democrats walking back their opposition on voter ID. And you can tell how, how bad this is for Democrats by the way the Washington Post phrases this. So Aaron Blake is the senior reporter at the Washington Post covering this. You ready? Stacey Abrams and the Democrats' evolution on voter ID. Oh, it's an evolution, is it? It's not a complete reversal. It's not that they all said that voter ID was a grave injustice barring black people from the polls. And they've been saying this for years. No, you're not having long-term or short-term memory loss. When you seem to remember Democrats saying that voter ID was the new Jim Crow, that's because they said it. But now they've just evolved, you see. They've evolved in a more right-wing direction. Mm, Is that what happened? So, for example... Raphael Warnock in Georgia, he understands that he's about to get tossed out on his ear. Because remember, he, he took over a, an uncompleted term. So Raphael Warnock is up for re-election as in next year. Okay, And because Raphael Warnock is up for re-election in 2022, he is 
I think, running scared. And he should be running scared because he's likely to lose that seat. That seat is very tenuous. I know right now you have Cook Political Report that has it leaning D. I do not think that is a lean D seat. I think that is a lean R seat. I think Warnock is in serious trouble. He got in basically because of the fluke of Donald Trump intervening in the Georgia Senate elections last time around. Otherwise, he definitely would not be in the Senate right now. Okay, but put that aside. Raphael Warnock was campaigning pretty openly for a long time about how things like voter ID were racist because Raphael Warnock is a radical. So here was Warnock just a few months ago comparing Georgia's voting law, which included voter ID, to Jim Crow. It all began right here in Georgia with these unnecessary and unjustifiable voter ID laws. And there are some who say, well, we are concerned about voter fraud. We're worried that people might, without these state IDs, which constitute, in my estimation, a poll tax, that they might vote twice. Are you kidding? It's hard enough to get people to vote once. And meanwhile, Stacey, Stacey Abrams did the exact same thing. The, the, it is incredible to me. And Stacey Abrams is still brought forth by the media as the representative of true, honest American voting. When she has claimed for years without any evidence that voter suppression led to her defeat in her Georgia gubernatorial race. She was literally honored by the Democrats at the last Democratic National Convention in the governor's room. They had like a governor's chat room and Stacey Abrams was included as though she'd been elected governor. And then they all have the temerity to say, how dare Donald Trump not concede an election? Stacey Abrams, as far as I'm aware, still has not conceded, really, the Georgia election. She still says that she was only not elected because of voter suppression for which she has provided zero evidence. Okay, And then after Georgia decided they were going to pass this law that shored up some of their voting procedures, she over and over and over again suggested that voter ID was bad, that, that this new Georgia law was like Jim Crow. She openly suggested in a USA Today editorial that she understood why people would boycott the state of Georgia over that Georgia voting law. And then when it turns out that her intervention, her radical intervention was likely to lose Georgia, both of its Democratic senators, then she started to walk that back. And she actually had USA Today retcon her story. They actually went in and removed the section. It's amazing that they were, I mean, honestly, like that any outlet would do this is kind of incredible. They took that part of her editorial and just removed it where she quasi endorsed boycotting the state. Here is Stacey Abrams not all that long ago suggesting that voter ID was a very bad thing. We have a right to vote in the United States that is afforded to eligible American citizens. But we have seen over the last 20 years a constriction on who has the right to use that right. We have seen it through voter ID laws. You can't get on the rolls. And if you get on the rolls, you can't stay. You may not be able to cast your ballot because they close your precinct or they change the rules. That's rigging the game. Voter ID is rigging the game. I mean, she said it right there. Okay, so now the Democrats looked at the polls. It turns out that every single subsection of the American population is fine with voter ID, which makes perfect sense because we all show ID for everything in this country. And when you fly on a plane, you have to show ID. When you buy alcohol, you have to show ID. When you're driving, you have to be carrying ID. No one has a problem with this except for idiot Democrats who apparently believe that it's a form of voter suppression to ask people to show that they are who they say they are when they vote. No one has a problem with this. Not black Americans, not white Americans, not Hispanic Americans, nobody. Okay, except for radical Democrats like Stacey Abrams. Well, now it turns out that their push for this is backfiring because no one is on their side. So now, shockingly, they've reversed their position on all of this. Right, it was systemic racism a moment ago, but then it turned out that it was unpopular. And so now it's not systemic racism anymore. Well, here is Aaron Blake explaining the evolution, quote, it still isn't clear exactly what will happen with Senator Joe Manchin, the third's middle ground proposal on voting rights. Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer is planning to bring up the For the People Act, 
which Joe Manchin opposes in its current form for a vote on Tuesday while saying he will work with Manchin. But that's just about getting to all 50 Democratic votes. Getting to the necessary 60 still looks prohibitive based on early GOP reviews of even Manchin's friendlier proposal. But regardless of what happens with the bill, Manchin's proposal has moved the needle in one significant way, signaling a softening by key Democrats on voter ID. Among the carrots for Republicans in Manchin's proposal is a voter ID provision. Republicans pushed voter ID hard at the state level in recent years, but rather than merely describe Manchin's voter ID proposal as a concession, some key Democrats have suggested they don't really object to it or the broader concept at all. Former Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams was asked last week on CNN whether she could accept this compromise, what Joe Manchin laid out, even if voter ID was part of it. And Abrams said, quote, that's one of the fallacies of Republican talking points that have been deeply disturbing. No one has ever objected to having to prove who you are to vote. It's been part of our history since the inception of voting. Um, I just played you a clip of Stacey Abrams saying that voter ID was a form of voter suppression. You're not crazy. She's lying. Okay, same thing with Raphael Warnock. He said, quote, I have never been opposed to voter ID. I don't know anybody who believes that people shouldn't have to prove they are who they say they are. Um, nope. Nope. Warnock said in 2015, voters without a driver's license or state ID must surrender their personal information and risk identity theft just to receive an absentee ballot. Dealing with these voter ID laws, this is not about voter verification. This is about voter suppression. Oh, really? Oh, really? So here's the bottom line. Every argument is directed toward power. Of course, it is not directed toward honesty. These people didn't actually believe that voter ID was a form of voter suppression. They just believed that if they said it over and over and over again, they could get a bunch of voters, progressive white voters in the suburbs and black voters, presumably, to vote Democrat. If you just call things Jim Crow over and over, maybe people will think that your opponent is Jim Crow. This is the way that Democrats attempt to win arguments now. They're not attempting to actually push forward the power and, and positivity of their agenda. Instead, it's all about if you oppose me, it's because you're in favor of systemic racism. It, it truly is an amazing, amazing thing. And this is why you're seeing them trot out Barack Obama to make the same arguments now. It's why they keep bringing up the specter of Trump. We'll get to all that in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that you need a good night's sleep. Everybody needs a good night's sleep. And let me tell you about the best pillow on the market. You know what I'm going to say. My pillow. My pillow has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. My pillow didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow, though. My pillow created the new Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great. That means an even better night's sleep for me that is crucial for a busy schedule. My pillow has the world's best cotton, Giza cotton. It is ultra soft and breathable, extremely durable. My pillow sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. It's a long warranty for sheets, my goodness. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. And my pillow is making a special offer right now for my listeners. You'll receive two for one low price plus free shipping. And I have all the my pillow products like all over my house. They are tremendous. Everything they say they are, they really are. Go to mypillow.com, click on that radio listener square, use promo code DAILYWIRE. There you will find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all my pillow products, including the my pillow mattress topper, my pillow towel sets, and so much more. Call one. 800-951-7163. Use the promo code DAILYWIRE. Go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use that promo code DAILYWIRE. Go check them out right now. Okay, so if the Democrats' agenda seems to be falling off in popularity, and they've got a real problem here because the Democrats have basically hit high watermark. I don't think they're passing any more serious legislation aside from some sort of budget through reconciliation here. Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, because they are Democrats in purple to very, very red states in Manchin's case, they are not going to kill the filibuster. Kristen Cinema has a piece in the Washington Post today saying as much. She says we have more to lose than gain by ending the filibuster. 
She says, everyday Arizonans are focused on questions that matter most in their daily lives. Is my job secure? Can I expand my business? Can we afford college? What about healthcare? When can I retire? Is my community safe? Meanwhile, much of Washington's focus is on a Senate rule requiring 60 votes to advance most legislation. Arizonans expect me to do what I promised when I ran for the House and Senate, to be independent like Arizona and to work with anyone to achieve lasting results. Lasting results, rather than temporary victories, is destined to be reversed, undermining the certainty that America's families and employers depend on. The best way to achieve durable, lasting results is bipartisan cooperation. I understand bipartisanship, says Kristen Cinema, seems outdated to many pundits. But the difficult work of collaboration is what we expect in Arizona. And I still believe it is the best way to identify realistic solutions instead of escalating all or nothing political battles that result in no action or in whipsawing federal policy reversals. I mean, by the way, the fact that it is now considered controversial to hold the position that the filibuster should remain is pretty incredible. I see a lot of Democrats are like, well, if Mitch McConnell were in charge, he'd get rid. Democrats say this kind of stupid crap without realizing Mitch McConnell was in charge with a Republican House, with a Republican president and didn't kill the filibuster. It is only Democratic leadership now that is pretty openly calling for killing the filibuster. But the reality is this agenda is going nowhere. So that means that Democrats are sort of left with nothing to campaign on. Remember, they control all branches of government at this point. And the only thing that they've done is pass a giant spending bill. That's it. And propose radical shifts in the nature of American voting, which is not going to get passed. So instead, what they're going to do is they're going to just keep up the banter, right? They're just going to keep up the push that if you oppose their agenda, it's because you're a racist. So here's Barack Obama pushing HR1, which is an absurd piece of legislation. And of course, trying to link it to Trump. This is, they need Trump so bad. I mean, they cannot see straight how bad they need Trump. Every host on CNN leads their show every night with Trump. Trump has been out of office since January, last I checked. It is now June. He's been out of office a full six months. And yet the Democrats can't let go of the thing. They can't let go of it. And the reason that they can't let go of it is because Trump was the font head of all evil. And because Trump was so likely to jump into these pitched kind of political battles with them, they loved being able to push up against Trump. You think Joe Biden wins 80 million votes if he's running against anybody but Trump? Of course not. Right? Democrats are like teenagers who require a parent to take a hard position so they can yell at their parents. Okay, so here, here's Barack Obama yelling at Trump. Trump's not in office. Trump is not at the forefront of the political scene. Trump's not on Twitter. He's not on Facebook. He's sending out missives every day. But the only people who seem to be paying attention to those missives in mass numbers are Democrats and members of the media, which, by the way, is why there was a straw poll the other day suggesting that Ron DeSantis might outpoll Donald Trump. Now, that's without Donald Trump attacking DeSantis, of course. Trump does have the unique superpower of being able to destroy anything in his path. I'm not sure that he's able to build as well as he destroys. But in any case, Democrats require Trump. They require him as a foil in order for them to push past their radical agenda. So here's Barack Obama trying this routine. We can't wait until the next election, because if we have the same kinds of shenanigans that um, brought about January 6th, uh, you know, if we have that for a couple more election cycles, uh, we're going to have real problems in terms of our democracy long term. We are not going to have any ability to preserve our democracy long term. Are you kidding me? So he wants to federalize all federal procedure, like all, all state voting procedure. He wants to take that up to the federal level. He wants to enshrine ballot harvesting. He wants to enshrine no voter ID, right? He wants the more radical version of H.R. 1, not even the Mansion Senate 1, which is not a good bill, but at least not as bad as H.R. 1. And he wants to do all of that in the name of January 6th, which literally was a security failure. Okay, let's, let's chalk up January 6th to what it actually was in reality. Okay, January 6th, in the end, was about the failure of the government to stop people from invading the federal building. That's it. 
Okay, that, that's not to minimize Donald Trump's bad rhetoric between November 6th and January 6th or Jan- November 4th and January 6th. That is not to minimize the foolishness, stupidity, and malice of people who decided to invade the Capitol building seeking to do harm to others. But in the end, when faced with a, a mob intent on doing bad things around a pretty predictably targeted building, the real failure, there was a security failure, which is what a bipartisan Senate committee already found, right? Okay, but, but to treat that as some sort of assault on the democracy itself, meaning that democracy itself was not going to work anymore unless you do what Barack Obama wants you to do, namely loosen voting procedures to the point where voter fraud becomes extremely possible, to, to foster a voting system that, that has less verifiability. That's, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty long putt. Yeah, but Schumer is doing the same thing, right? So Schumer is also saying that, that Trump is, is sta- these voting laws in the states, you know, the ones that are kind of popular, those are all Trump's doing. They need Trump so bad. They need him so bad. They can't, they, honestly, it's amazing. It's ama- the obsession they have with Trump is unreal. Donald Trump lied over and over and over again, poisoning our democracy, lighting a fire beneath Republican state legislatures who immediately launched the most sweeping voter suppression effort in at least 80 years. Just a note, how despicable a man is Donald Trump? Okay, again, the most, the most, voter suppression, 80 years? The most despicable voter suppression in 80, like, you, you realize that you go 80 years backwards from here, you're talking about the 1940s, right? So he's talking about, like, comparing these laws about voter ID, which are widely popular, to Jim Crow, again, and it's all because of Trump, because Trump's a Jim Crow figure. Okay, the Democrats don't have much, but, they'll, uh, but they need Trump to kick around. They are just going to get clobbered in 2022, and they deserve to get clobbered in 2022 if they continue to push this partisan agenda and then to defend their own worst players like the Sheldon Whitehouses of the world. All right, in just a second, we're going to get to the big social issues of the day, including the first openly gay active NFL player. I know it's, it's, a, it's a majestic moment in American history. It matters so, so much. Because we're going to do this with every industry, every time, so that we can continue to pretend that Americans care deeply about this stuff. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that now would be an excellent time for us to get involved to stop the left-wing indoctrination of our children. You may have noticed that Sesame Street decided that they are now going to bring out a gay couple to introduce to three- and four-year-old children. It's really, really important that your kids learn about the variety of sexual orientation at the age of three and four, according to Sesame Street. You're not going to get that from PragerU. From PragerU, you're going to get traditional American values, you're not going to get critical race theory from PragerU. PragerU has launched a massive new K-12 through education program. Thousands of educators and parents have already signed up. You can check it out at PragerU.com slash kids. PragerU has tons of free kids shows, books, magazines with the pro-American values that aren't being taught in schools or most kids shows. The PragerU website has everything you need to get your young family through what's happening in our country right now. You want your kids to learn about our nation's founding principles and be proud of them? How about passing on values you care about like truth, freedom, responsibility, hard work, equality under God? If you want your kids consuming content that actually supports your values, head on over to PragerU right now. Show your children their animated shows, books, magazines. Most importantly, support PragerU. They're basically our sister company. They're a wonderful 501c3. Subscribe now. Don't miss PragerU's incredible free kids content. Visit PragerU.com slash kids today. Already, in just a second, we'll get to the major social issues of the day. First, there are two books you currently need on your shelf. An old copy of the dictionary so you can remember what language was like before the left decided to completely destroy it. And Speechless. Controlling Words, Controlling Minds by my friend, sort of, Michael Knowles. The book explains how we got to this point and what it means for our future. Lucky for you, it is available everywhere today. It really is a good book, which is why I endorse this one. 
Not cynically. I endorsed his empty book last time because it was a joke. This time I actually endorsed it because it's a good book. If you haven't been to the bookstore lately, now would be the time. Again, Speechless is available everywhere today, Tuesday, June 22nd. You can still pre-order a signed copy of Speechless at premiercollectibles.com slash speechless before Michael's live signing tonight. If you want a copy with his signature, this would be your last chance. That is correct. If you've been wanting, dreaming, needing a signed copy of Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds by the irrepressible Michael Moles. Today is your last chance to pre-order one before his virtual live signing tonight, 7.30 p.m., 6.30 p.m. Central. As you know, Michael's excellent Logic Pack book, and again, I'm not being sarcastic, it's great. It goes deep into the origins of political correctness, why it's so prevalent in our society today. It's a book you'll wish you'd have gotten signed if you don't. You can pre-order Speechless at premiercollectibles.com slash speechless before that signing tonight. That will be streaming at dailywire.com, dailywire YouTube, and the Daily Wire Facebook. If you pre-order a copy, don't forget to type a question into the prompter when you check out. Then you can tune into his live signing tonight to see if he answers your question. If he doesn't, no need to worry. You still get the copy with his signature. Prepare yourself for an incredibly interesting and personalized live stream, an excellent new book on your shelf, and finally, an ability to understand the PC police better than they understand themselves, which is kind of a superpower in today's day and age. One last time, premiercollectibles.com slash speechless. Get your signed copy. Tune in tonight, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Central at dailywire.com, Daily Wire YouTube, Daily Wire Facebook. Catch his live signing and maybe even get one of your burning questions answered. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. All right. Meanwhile, we have massive social issues shaking America and an administration committed to demonstrating to the world what is best about America, which is, of course, why Tony Blinken, the secretary of state, has said that the pride progress flag, which, again, is the ugliest flag. I mean, just on an aesthetic level. Okay, forget about what it represents. Just on an aesthetic level, it looks like, as I've said before, a kaleidoscopic whirlpool of stained glass crap. It is just ridiculous. It it is the original rainbow flag. And then coming in from the side are these weird arrows pushing the rainbow flag aside with a variety of colors to represent transgender, intersex, gender nonconforming people. And eventually, It'll just be a giant collage of every single human in the United States, because, of course, every single person has their own sexual orientation as well as their own gender identity. Right? There is no limit. It is The, the number is, is literally infinite. So we should each have our own picture on the American flag, I feel like, at a certain point. That, that, that's the direction we should go. We're going to fly that above the State Department because nothing unifies America quite like transgender radicalism. So here is Tony Blinken saying we're going to fly that. I, I assume we're not going to be flying that above the State Department in, say, Yemen. I, I, I Just call me... Call me crazy. I just have a feeling we're not going to be doing that. We'll be flying the progress flag, um, a symbol that encompasses the diversity uh, and intersectionality of LGBTQI persons uh, in communities around the world at the State Department uh, later uh, this month. Um, We'll fly the flag from June 26th uh, to uh, the 28th. Uh, And that's a period that I know, as so many knows, uh, marks a, uh, a couple of important turning points in uh, our history for LGBTQI rights. Yeah, no, nothing nothing says unifying America quite like intersectionality and flags that represent each individual orientation on the flag. It, just wonderful, wonderful stuff. And by the way, one of the great things about the intersectional movement is just how tolerant and wonderful it is. Like, let, let me give you an example. So there is something called the Chicago Dyke March. It, that's what they call it. It is their name. And a few years ago, there was a big controversy because the Chicago Dyke March banned people from flying any flag that had a Jewish star on it. And so people were like, oh, that seems anti-Semitic. And there's this big controversy, and then they walked it back. Well, now they're really not making any bones about where they are at the Chicago Dyke March. Here is the poster they put out for the Chicago Dyke March, which is to take place June 26th. Okay, it is a a woman, I assume, uh, who is um, 
wearing a bikini and a thong, standing on top of a burning police car that says Chicago police, so you know it's a burning police car. And on her butt is written ACAB, which is the radical slogan, all cops are bastards. And in one hand, she's holding a burning American flag. And in the other hand, she's holding a burning Israeli flag. So (laughs) intersectionality. Yes, nothing is unifying quite like intersectional LGBTQIA plus politics. It just, I mean, it really unifies us all pretty, pretty obviously. And by the way, it is not just Chicago. According to Jason Rance, who, by the way, is a gay man living in Seattle, he reports organizers for a Seattle gay pride event say they are charging white people a reparations fee to attend. Oh, goody. They have the support of Seattle City Council President and mayoral candidate Lorena Gonzalez and the Seattle Human Rights Commission. Taking black pride. okay, it's, it's taking back pride, but they put an L in the middle because it's clever. Organizers say all are welcome to attend. However, white allies and accomplices accomplices must pay the reparations fee. It will be charged on a sliding scale of 10 bucks to 50 bucks, depending on one's ability to pay. The event location is Jimi Hendrix Park, owned by the city of Seattle. This raises questions about the legality of a reparations fee. Organizers promote taking Black Pride as an event to amplify the voices, narratives, and contributions of Black, queer, and trans voices. There will be live musical performances, commentators, art healing spaces, prize giveaways, and a COVID-19 vaccine clinic. According to the event's listing, they say they will focus on centering who we are and what we need to feel empowered, joyful, and heard. So apparently you need a reparations fee fee to feel empowered. Quote, all are free to attend. However, this is a black and brown queer trans censored prioritized valued event. White allies and accomplices are welcome to attend, but will be charged a $10 to $50 reparations fee that will be used to keep this event free of cost for black and brown trans and queer community. Mm, Yes. We'll get to more on this in just a moment. First, the financial experts said we were in the clear. While experts anticipated rate cuts, inflation in the United States remains a significant economic concern. Think about it. The United States right now is in the hole by $34 trillion. We're going to keep spending. We're going to keep printing. And that's going to keep pushing up those prices. So you can bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversification, always a smart financial strategy. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation. Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert your existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. You're not going to pay a penny out of pocket. Gold is part of my savings strategy. I get it from Birch Gold. They've been the exclusive gold partner of The Daily Wire for over seven years now, literally helping thousands of our listeners. They can help you as well. Text Ben to 989898. Get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist about protecting your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text Ben to 989898. Right now, diversification, always a smart strategy. Text Ben to 989898 to get started. Okay, meanwhile, the big story, and it's leading, like, all of the newspapers, and it is leading over at ESPN, and it's leading at Huffington Post and at Drudge Report. The big story of the day is that there is an active gay NFL player. Now, you may be asking yourself, wait a second, wasn't Michael Sam drafted by the St. Louis Rams many years ago? And it was a huge issue at the time because he kissed his boyfriend at the time on national television when he was drafted. And this was considered like a huge deal, groundbreaking moment, because the way that this works in American politics is that anytime a gay person becomes the first of anything in any industry, this is a it's a new groundbreaking moment that doesn't actually accomplish progress because that's the way intersectionality and identity politics work. Because if we were to say, you know, Michael Sam was already in the NFL, at least he was on the the practice squad for the St. Louis Rams before he ended up with, I think it was like the Montreal Alouettes and then fell out of football. Before any of that happened, uh, if you said, well, you know, life for gay people in America is pretty good. Look at the progress we've made. They say, no, that's not progress. Then they'd be like, Michael Sam is now in the NFL. Oh, well, that, that looks like a good sign of progress. Nope. 
Not a sign of progress. In the same way that when it comes to race in the United States, if you're like, you know, you guys keep claiming that America's super duper racist. And it seems kind of like not since we had a black president for two terms. And when he was elected, it was hailed by the media as a historic moment. It's only a historic moment if it marks something. Okay, if it marks nothing, it's not a historic moment. But according to the left, progress is a treadmill, right? It, it can never be reached and you never move forward, really. You're just kind of walking in place. And the statistics kind of run up, but we don't pay attention to those. You're still in the same place. So if you say, yeah, America doesn't seem so racist because, you know, well over 50% of the population elected a rather incompetent president twice and he was black, then everybody is like, no, 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 that's not progress. You don't understand progress. So we play this game every so often where, uh, well, first gay person in the NFL. We're like, oh my God, unbelievable. We're like, wow, first gay jockey. Incredible. First gay impressionist artist who also has one leg. And like, oh my God, what progress you made? No, that's not progress. That's not progress. So one thing, if we hailed these sorts of moves is like, oh, look how far we've come. Isn't that cool? But instead, five minutes from now, it'll be like, and yes, the NFL has more to do. The NFL is still a cruel, vicious place. So here is how this was covered over at ESPN. Carl Nassib of the uh, Nassib, I don't know how to pronounce his name, of the Las Vegas Raiders announces he is gay and pledges $100,000 to the Trevor Project. Nassib28 made the announcement in an Instagram post. He said, what's up, people? I'm at my house here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. I really have the best life. I've got the best family, friends, and job a guy could ask for. I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know I'm really not doing this for attention. I just think representation and visibility are so important. I actually hope that like one day, videos like this and the whole coming out process are not just necessary. But until then, I'm going to do my best and do my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting, that's compassionate. I'm going to start by donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project. Okay. Nice. Sure. Right. I mean, like, okay. Now, has there been any blowback? Has anybody been like, oh my God, that's so terrible in 2021? No, not one iota of it. But don't worry, the left will find somebody. (laughs) Because again, we have to keep making these stories stories, even though they really are not stories. I mean, a gay man is the secretary of transportation and did really well in the Democratic primaries. We've had a gay man as the ambassador to the United Nations, Rick Grinnell, under, under the Trump administration. Everybody knows people who are gay. Everybody has business with people. There are gay people working at every business in the United States openly. Like this is this is really not a thing, but it's going to be turned into a thing by the media for purposes of suggesting that America is really backwards, which is always so weird because again, it's the same thing they've done with Juneteenth. Juneteenth is a mark of how far America came in abolishing slavery. And yet it is treated as a sign of how far America did not come in doing anything. Okay, it can't be a historic moment unless you allow it to be a historic moment. It can't be an important moment unless you allow it to be an important moment. So is it important or is it not? You guys are going to have to decide. I'll tell you what is an important moment in sport. Apparently, and this is a, it is a glorious moment. It is truly incredible. An Olympics, New Zealand weightlifter, okay? And this weightlifter's name is Laurel Hubbard, will become the first transgender athlete to compete at the Olympics. Now, you got to love the language here, okay? Because the reality is that a normal, that so much of our media is dedicated to obscuring actual stories by just changing the verbiage, by just changing the wording. Now, the actual headline should be, if we all spoke English together, the actual headline would be biological male to become first biological male to compete at the games in women's weightlifting. Because that's the story. If the story were just a biological female of any sort of identity competing against other women, everybody like, okay, that's not a story. The reason it's a story is because this is a dude, okay? And this dude is a biological male. Hubbard will compete in the super heavyweight 87 plus kilogram category. 
Her selection made possible by an update to qualifying requirements in May. Again, the simple adoption of the pronouns demanded changes the nature of the story. Because if you just read that sentence, you'd be like, I don't understand why this is a story. Right? If you if you just read the first couple of paragraphs, you would not understand what exactly is going on if you spoke English from like two years ago. Right? Weightlifter Laurel Hubbard will become the first transgender athlete to compete at the Olympics after being selected by New Zealand for the women's event at the Tokyo Games, a decision set to reignite a debate over inclusion and fairness in sport. Hubbard will compete in that category. Her selection made possible by an update to qualifying requirements in May. Hey, you have to get all the way to the third paragraph before you understand what the hell is going on. The 43-year-old, who will be the oldest lifter at the Games, had competed in men's weightlifting competitions before transitioning in 2013. Okay, let me just put it this way to the women. That is wildly unfair. This is a dude who is a full dude in every respect and continues to be a full dude just with either some surgeries or some hormone therapy, but was competing in men's weightlifting competitions as of 2013, which means you had the full bone and muscle development of a man all the way, not just through puberty, but through adulthood and was competing against dudes in the same category. And now we're going to pretend that this is an even playing field and that it makes no difference. Hubbard said, I'm grateful and humbled by the kindness and support that has been given to me by so many New Zealanders. The New Zealand Olympics chief, Karen Smith, said it was a historic moment in sport and for the New Zealand team. She is our first Olympian who has transitioned from male to female, except you can't become a female after being a male. That is not physically possible. We do know that there are many questions about fairness of transgender athletes competing in the Olympic Games, but I would like to take this opportunity to remind us all that Laurel has met all of the required criteria. Okay, let's just be fair about this. There, is, there are no, honestly, how many other 43-year-old weightlifters are there in the Olympics? I'd love to see a stat. How many 43-year-old competitors are there in actually physically demanding sports in the Olympics? You see a lot of 43-year-old sprinters in the Olympics? Seem kind of weird? Maybe the reason is because the biology is different here, gang, but you're not allowed to say that. Hubbard has been eligible to compete at the Olympics since 2015, which the IOC issued guidelines allowing any transgender athlete to compete as a woman, provided their testosterone levels are below 10 nanomoles per liter for at least 12 months before their first competition. So literally a year and a half after this person was competing as a male in male weightlifting competitions, take some estrogen, and now you can compete with the females. Truly incredible. Some scientists have said the guidelines do little to mitigate the biological advantages of those who have gone through puberty as males. Yeah, you think? Advocates for transgender inclusion argue the process of transition decreases that advantage considerably, and that physical differences between athletes means there is never truly a level playing field. Um, there are broad categories of male and female in human biology and all mammalian biology, as it turns out. But, you know, I'm rooting for Hubbard, frankly. I think that it's, I, I think it's great. I think Hubbard should win, and I think that Every male who takes some estrogen should compete in all the female categories. And then we can truly have a, a more truly diverse and inclusive society. A true meritocracy, if you will. Hubbard's gold medal wins at the 2019 Pacific Games in Samoa, where she topped the podium ahead of Samoa's Commonwealth Games champion, Figega Stowers, triggered outrage in the host nation. Samoa's weightlifting boss said Hubbard's selection for Tokyo would be like letting athletes dope, feared it would cost the small Pacific nation a medal. yes. Belgian weightlifter Anna Van Bellingen said last month allowing Hubbard to compete was unfair for women and like a bad joke. That is correct. But um, just really, really solid stuff there from the International Olympic Committee. Once again, we, we, have, we have created a hell of a society for ourselves. It is, it is truly astonishing to watch as the new meritocracy arises. Okay, meanwhile, today, New York voting for mayor. So if you're voting for mayor today, my recommendation, my boy, Andrew Yang. I, I like Andrew Yang. Uh, I think that he is the least bad of the available candidates over there. 
But I, I will never I will never cease amusement at the fact that every single New York mayoral candidate, with the exception of one, has run directly screaming away from Bill de Blasio and wants more cops. Well done, liberal governance in New York City. All righty, we'll be back here later today for an additional hour of content. Be sure to check it out over at dailywire.com. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our assistant director is Pavel Wydowski. Editing is by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant is Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. On The Matt Wall Show, we talk about the things that matter, real issues that affect you, your family, our country, not just politics, but culture, faith, current events, all the fundamentals. If they matter to you, come check out the show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.